Likutei Sichais, Chelik Yud, it's volume 10, second Sicha for Parshas Toilis. This Sicha is about the monumental bracha, the blessing, which appears in this week's Parsha, which we recite every Matzah Shabbos, the bracha which Yitzchak gave to Yaakov. The Rebbe will explain this blessing based on a medrash, on the first words of the bracha, and will very masterfully point out how this bracha applies to each and every one of us, and how this is the inheritance of every single yid in this day-to-day life in the service of Hashem. So the Rebbe begins. In our parsha, it's related that before Yaakov was blessed with the bracha v'yitin l'chalikim, Yitzchak Avinu, as an introduction, said, Re'ei re'ach b'ni k're'ach sada ashaverach Hashem. See the smell of my son as the smell of a field which was blessed by Hashem. So the Chachamim in the Medrash in Sifri say that we see that Yitzchak, he saw the Beis HaMikdash, that's the first Beis HaMikdashes, and then he saw the Beis HaMikdash in its destruction, and then he saw it as it was built and finished, La'asid Lavai, in the future when Mashiach comes. How does this fit into these, to this verse? So it breaks it down as follows. Re'ei re'ach b'ni, see the smell of my son. So re'ach, smell, is a reference to the korbanis, which were offered in the Beis HaMikdash. Korbanis are re'ach nichoyach, they're a pleasing smell to Hashem. B'ni also can be, is similar to the word bonui, built. So the Beis HaMikdash as it's built and in which they offer the Karbanis. Kereach Sada, as the smell of a field. So the Medrash brings as a reference a Pasuk from the Navi Micha in the book of Micha, the prophet of Micha, who says that Siyain Sada Techarish, that Siyain, meaning Yerushalayim, will be plowed, Rahman al-Islan, like a field. That means total destruction. And then at the last words, Asher Hashem, which Hashem has blessed, this is a reference to the ultimate Beis HaMikdash, the third Beis HaMikdash, which will be the ultimate blessing and will be um, blessed directly by Hashem as it will be made directly by Hashem. So the Rebbe asks two questions. Number one, how is it possible that these three things are the introduction, like the prerequisite, so to speak, to the blessings, the catalyst for the blessings that Yitzchak is giving to Yaakov. Especially considering that if he saw the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, what is the cause? What is the reason of the Beis HaMikdash? We say it every Yomtev in the Musaf. We say, We say because of our sins, because of our shortcomings, because of our iniquities. And that's why that's why there was a, there was a hand that, that went and, and, and destroyed the Beis HaMikdash. So how can this be a reason, a cause for blessing? Number two, why is it that the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash is hinted with the word Sada, right? We said Kireyach Sada, like the smell of a field, which is a reference to the verse, to the Pasuk, which describes the Beis HaMikdash's destruction as being a, a, a field that was plowed. First of all, what difference does it make that it was a field or not a field? And moreover, 
if we actually know the sequence of events, this prophecy actually materialized after the actual destruction of Besamikdash. The actual destruction of Besamikdash initially was not to such a devastating point, uh, level. It didn't come to such a devastating point. It's only afterwards. So why is it that this is, so to speak, the hallmark that represents the destruction that Yitzchak saw? You know, the other part of Reach Beni, the smell, we understand, as we already explained. That is a direct reference to what took place in Reza Mikdash. And in fact, if we consider what the Rambam holds, that that was the main purpose of the Reza Mikdash, a place, quote, a place in which to offer karbanis. But why this mention, why this reference of a sada of a field? So the Rebbe says in order to understand this, we first need to introduce another very curious thing about this bracha. You know that the bracha begins, and grammatically it actually you know, raises an eyebrow, it doesn't begin, begin with the words, Yitain l'cha alikim, Hashem should give you. It begins with and Hashem should give you. When do you begin something with and? So the Chachamim tell us that what Yitzchak was referring to, what Yitzchak was hinting was that this is a double blessing. There is Yitain and there is and then again he should give. That means he should give and he should give again. In the simple sense, it means that he should continuously give. But it means that there's a double giving here. Okay, there's not just one giving, there's a yitain and there's a v'yitain, there's v'yachsa v'yitain, and he should give again. So the Rebbe asks, you know, it's one thing if a human being is giving a blessing, so the blessing is inherently limited. It's a finite, it's coming from a finite person, so it has a finite limitation, and therefore there's always a need to add to the blessing. There's always a need to increase, to give again, so to speak. But if Hashem's giving a blessing, if you say yitain l'cha l'kim, what more do you need to give? A giving from Hashem is an infinite giving, and it includes everything and anything possible. So what more is there to give? And the Rebbe continues, even if we should make the argument that perhaps, and we do find this, for example, when Yaakov gave Hashem's blessing to his children, it says, Each person in accordance with his blessing, meaning in accordance with his needs, with his particular needs, he blessed them. So there you can argue that there is a particular blessing, and therefore there's always a need, and there's always, so to speak, room to add to the blessing. But over here, who was the blessing to? The blessing was to Yaakov. The blessing was to Yaakov, who is the Bechir Avais, and he is Koilel. Yaakov includes, and his Nishama was inclusive of each and every single Yid. So, it's, so it follows that the bracha itself was something that was all-inclusive, all-encompassing of any whatsoever aspect of blessing. So why the need to give again? Another question, why is it that he specifically uses the shame Elikim? We know that in the names of Hashem, shame Havaya, Yudke Vavke, is the shame of Racham and compassion, which seems to be the natural source for blessings. Shame Elikim is comes from from you know is, is a shame of restraint of deen of judgment of gvura. So why is it that he chose to bless him with shamelikim? So the Rebbe says to understand all of this, we'll borrow from a marshal, from a metaphor of the hashpa of a rav to Talmud. In this marshal, we find many many times exodus in various applications. 
But in general, what is the relationship between a Rav, which is a master teacher, and a Talmud, and a true disciple that receives his Torah, his knowledge from the Rav? So there's, it's basically, it's, it's, it's on two levels. There's two types of Hashpas Rav the Talmud. There's one type where the Talmud absorbs, it becomes an absolute recipient of all the Torah, of the knowledge that he receives from his Rebbe, and he contains it, you know, and he can per- preserve it. And then there is another type of hashpa. there's another type of relationship between Rav and Talmud, where the Rav teaches the Talmud and brings him to such a point that this Talmud, the disciple, becomes, so to speak, self-sufficient. He is able to grow and he's able to carry that and continue, so to speak, run with it on his own. Where do we find this distinction? We actually find it in Pirkei Avis. In the second Pedic of Pirkei Avis, the Mishnah there describes the five main Talmidim of Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai. And Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai, it says that the Talmidim that he had, the greatest one of them, and it describes each, each one's mila, okay, his virtue and his learning and in his receiving from Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai, who was the ultimate teacher, obviously, of his time. And it describes Rabbi Lezer ben Horkinus as being a boyer sud she'enoim abetipa, like a cemented cistern, meaning a fully waterproof cistern, or a place that holds water that doesn't lose a drop, meaning he received everything and he was able to contain and preserve everything. But it also describes Rabbi Lezer ben Aroch, the last of the top five Talmidim. And Rabbi Lezer ben Aroch describes him as kemayon hamizgaber, like a fountain which grows and is an ever-increasing flow. Mizgabah, it continues to grow greater and greater and greater. Now, these are two different types of hashpa, two different types of effect of the relationship of Rav Talmud. And each one is in itself an advantage and has a greatness over the other. Rabbi Lezer ben Horkinus, as described in the Mishnah, the Mishnah says if you put all of them, all his students, on a scale, Rabbi Lazar ben Erkanus will outweigh all of them. Why? Because his retention, like a waterproof sister, his retention was so powerful that he had every single word, literally, every single nuance even, of his Rebbe was absorbed by him, was received by him, and retained by him. However, what is the, so to speak, shortcoming of this mode of reception, of receiving from the Rebbe, from his teacher, that he has only what his teacher gave him. In other words, he has no less, but also no more than what he was taught. Whereas Abelazab and Aroch, being the Mayan Hamizgaber, he, in that sense, outweighed all the other ones. Why? Because he was now triggered, he was uh, energized, through his Rebbe, Rabbi Yechonah Mezakai, with this tremendous ability of being able to grow and grow and grow and to be Mechadish in Torah. Both of them equally, even though this one, Rabbi Lezim Narach, is now, so to speak, functioning on his own, after having received everything he received from Rabbi Mezakai, but that is precisely the point. That still, at the end of the day, how does the Mishnah categorize all of them? that he had five students. They still were all considered the students, meaning that even the power, the energy, the ability to become such, like Rabbi Lazar ben Aruch, a student who was self-sufficient, who was able to grow and grow and grow on his own, even that 
comes through the fact that his teacher, so to speak, put him on his feet. His teacher was the one who set him in that path. Likewise, we, you know, this distinction between having all that comes from your teacher, in this case from Hashem, and then that which you kind of, you have that limitless energy and ability to grow on your own, that we also have in the blessings that come from Hashem, in the blessings that come to us in our lives. And this is what is hinted or what is meant with Yitain, he will give, and then there is V'yachser V'yitain, and he will go and he will continue to give, which is a, a, a symbol of the continuous giving and giving and giving that self-growth. Where do we find such a distinction? This in general is the difference between the Avoida of Tzaddikim versus the Avoida of Balei Tshuva. What is the Avoida of a Tzaddik? The Avoida of a Tzaddik, he goes on the straight and narrow. The Avoida of the Tzaddik is that he does everything that we were told to do. He utilizes all the koiches. He utilizes all the potential and all the directives that we were given. And that is what he grows with all the time. Whereas about Tshuva, what is about Tshuva? Somebody who has the koyach because he messed up, because he went off the straight and narrow. But later when he comes back, he has the ability to transform and to elevate even that which typically cannot be elevated. Even that which normally, according to the normal process, according to the normal protocol of Torah, is not meant to be, to, to be elevated, is not bent to be refined, and therefore the only way to deal with it, as the Altarebbe says in Tanya, is by being hands-off. That's all the mitzvahs loisa say, all the negative commands. Now, even though the Baal Tshuva does it with his own tremendous koyach, and he grows, and you see he grows exponentially to such a mat, to such a level that even a tzaddik cannot grow to. But even that, obviously, at the end of the day, comes from where? The trigger for it, and the ability, the koyach for it, the potential for it comes from where? It comes from Hashem. As we know, the Gemara describes the various announcements, the baskos which go on that many times help trigger an ishama. They call to the neshama, and the neshama receives the signal, and that's what triggers it, triggers it into a mode of action that it should become about tshuva. Now, of course, of course, like we mentioned above, there is a mila, there is an advantage in each of these two. From the one hand, you have the, the tzaddik, which has obviously fully received fully accepted, and therefore fully retained, and you, full, full utilization of all the koiches that Hashem gives him. But then you also have the Baal which is the Mayan Hamizgaber, the one like the fountain that continuously to grow with tremendous energy. And that explains that at the end of the day, what it says, that in Bemokim Shebalei Tshuva Oimdin, Afilu Tzadikim Geburim Eimi Lamit. Even a Tzadik Gomer cannot stand, because at the end of the day, this koyach, outweighs, outshines that of the tzaddik. Because at the end of the day, what the tzaddik has is only, so to speak, what's given to us. Only, so to speak, what's allowed, allotted to us. And, 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 and we have this, the, the, the ability to work with. The Baal is, is working with something that we don't have the ability 
to work with ordinarily. It's not meant to be worked with, but because of his tremendous tshuva, because of his tremendous novelty, of his unbelievable koiches, which he brings out, he's able to also transform it. Now the Rebbe adds, in chapter 6, that in truth, in a sense it could also be said, that the tzaddik also has these two modes of service of Hashem. Because if you want to divide a tzaddik's day, you have the first half of the day when the tzaddik begins, like we all do, in other words, acknowledging Hashem, and then all the brachis and all the tefillahs of asking Hashem for this, for that, for everything that we need to do. So that's the part where you receive and retain in that sister and in that holding place, you retain all the koiches from above. And of course, the rest of the day, the tzaddik starts to grow and certainly exponentially in his service of Hashem. So in a sense, that's similar to the avoid of the Balshuva, where he's not receiving, he's not just getting and utilizing what's coming from above, but he is working on his own. Okay, How, and, and, and at the end of the day, even though it's so, but still the tzaddik at the end of the day is only doing that which is allotted to him. That means even that second half of the day, which has a similarity to the Avodah of Al-Tshuva, is still yet only within the realm of what one is commanded to do, in the realm of what one is given koiches to do under normal protocol, under normal standard. According to the above, we'll be able to better understand why this bracha was not given from Avram to Yitzchak, but rather it was initiated and given from Yitzchak to Yaakov. And in actually, indeed, it was actually Yitzchak's intention to give it to who? Originally, to Esau. We'll have a better understanding why. You see, what we basically, if I had to summarize, what is basically the ultimate part of this blessing? It's not the Yitain, so to speak, the Tzaddik mode, but it's the Yachser Yitain. It's that above and beyond mode of the Avoida Sabali Tshuva. That the world was not ready for until Yitzchak initiated the blessing. Avram was a tzaddik gomer. The All the generations that preceded him were terrible Rishoyim. They certainly were not uh, deserving of any such blessing in any whatsoever way. Even Avram's son, he had Yitzchak, but he also had Yishmael. He couldn't give this blessing. You see, because Yishmael, even though we do learn later, that Yishmael did do tshuva. In last week's parsha, we learned that Yishmael did tshuva, but still, I'm sorry, this week's parsha, we learned that, that Yishmael did tshuva, but still, Yishmael has the category, as it says, Loike Avram Yishmael. Yishmael left the fold of Avram. Even though he did tshuva, but he still does not have the status of a yid, and therefore can never have the status and can never have the avoida of a true bal tshuva. However, the bracha that Yitzchak was about to give was even something that Esau could receive, even though Esau did so many terrible things. And it also, there's a reference in regards to Esau that says, Loiki Yitzchak Esau, that Esau left him. But still the Chazal maintain and conclude that Esau at the end of the day, no matter how far he strayed, he still has the status of a Yisrael Mumer, a Yid that went totally against the Torah. 
but he still has the status of a yid. Still, because he still has the status of a yid, therefore he is still capable and therefore eligible for this concept of teshuva. And that actually also can help explain what Yitzchak tried to do. Yitzchak thought if he just gives the bracha to Esav, this will trigger the teshuva mode. This will trigger that inner koyach in Esav and bring him to become a Balchuva so much sooner, not at the end of time, but in that time. However, the truth is that ultimately this tshuva really belongs, uh, this bracha, this blessing really belongs to Yaakov. Because the, tshu, the tshuva, in its true sense, and its, in its true pneumistic sense, can only be by Yaakov and his children. And this is going to help us understand and answer the questions that the Rebbe asked. Remember we asked, why was that a prerequisite for the brachas, the three things that he saw? So we'll understand. Yitain, the avoida of tzaddikim, that is synonymous with the Bate Mikdashis. When the Yidin were in a perfect state, they built a Beis Mikdash, everything was proper, offering kabonis, doing the, the avoida, and so on and so forth. However, when the Beis Mikdash is destroyed, what is that? And then later to come to the ultimate rebuilding, what is that? That is already the Avoida of Bali Tshuva. That is a void of Bali Tshuva. And this is the bracha. This is the bracha that he's giving. The bracha, the ability. He's giving us the, the resources to be able to have A, the mode of tzaddikim. And even when that fails, to be able to come to something even higher, the avoida, the mode of Bali Tshuva. And this now will help us understand why he uses the term Kireyach Sadr. What is the idea of a field? What is the idea of the field being plowed? What is the plowing of a field? This is the utmost humility. This is the, you break the field. Rashi uses the expression, and this is Negea to Hilcha Shabbos, that the idea of plowing is that you literally loosen up the, the, the ground. That's what constitutes Harisha, plowing. So a plowed field means that what? That somebody is so bitter, somebody is so, so sad, so broken. Notice the word broken by, by his iniquities, by, by the fact that he strayed, the fact that he went away, that this becomes now the ultimate reason for his growth, hence again, the concept of field. The reason why you break the field, the reason why you break the ground and you turn it, you toss it up and everything is that the seed should be able to go deep into the ground and later grow a, a, a great produce, later, later produce all the blessings that a field is meant to blessing. So then the question is, we covered everything. We covered the first base and the broken, the, the, the plowed field is a bali tshuva, right? Because that is the catalyst, the trigger for tshuva. So why the need to see the third base amikdash? What is it in that that expresses the blessing and brings it to the ultimate point? And the answer is as follows. Unfortunately, it happens many times that a person experiences a very fortunate thing, namely the sense of tshuva, the remorse, the broken heart, the regret, and it's sincere. And it's genuine. However, unfortunately, it stops right there. It doesn't lead to full action. He has a yisoyedus, he has an awakening, but then 
it subsides. The third base Amikdosh represents not only the fact that you had the initial stage of tshuva, but you actually brought it to fruition. Because the only way the third base Amikdosh will come is when we act on that we act on that plowed field, that we act on it and we bring it into fruition. That's when we have the building of the third base Amikdash. And that's why all three together was a prerequisite for him to give us the blessing. Because that's what's included in this blessing. That's what this blessing is all about, at least in a spiritual sense. And according to this, we'll also understand and answer another question that the Rebbe asked, why does he use the name Elikim? And this is because Elikim, as we mentioned, is the shame of Tzimtzum, is the shame of Din, of judgment, of constraint. That is the ultimate depiction of what one experiences when they're going through the process of Tshuva. That is Teshuva. When you feel so constrained, you still feel so low, you feel so bitter with yourself, you still feel so broken. That is Elikim. But also, he doesn't say Elikim, he says Elikim. Because the ultimate blessing, as explained in Chesidus, comes from not as much from Chesed, but moreover from, from Elikim, the Elikim, the ultimate level in Elikim, which is the ultimate blessing which comes directly from Gevura, which is Shbizaycha Bikariv Mamish.